On this episode, we discuss about Batman possibly returning, we say goodbye to Mixer, and SP tells me about why I'm not getting a space bar. Plus, SP Space Symposium is back, and this time it's all about Mariner 9. This and more in this week's show. I'm Haley from Gallifrey Public Radio, a Doctor Who fandom podcast and part of the Gunna Geek Network, just like the show you're checking out now. Shows on the network are individually owned, and opinions expressed may not reflect others. Find other interesting geeky shows at GunnaGeekNetwork.com. This is the official GunnaGeek.com show. Each week, we run down the latest news and happenings in the world of geek. These are your hosts for the show, Stephen, Chris, and SP. Welcome to an all-new episode of the official GunnaGeek.com show. I am Stephen John Drew, and with me is the Inspector Gadget. No, no, no. I'm Dr. Claw. Oh, sorry. Dr. Claw's here. Uh, I was going to actually try to make SP do the voice by saying, but we also have Dr. Claw. Ooh, the Claw. Toy Story, man. I got, got the reference. I just don't know if it was a good. Oh, the voice? No, no. I, I probably would be able to do the voice more properly had I seen it recently, but on the spot, that's the best I got. Yeah, I couldn't do it either. Uh, we're here to talk about some geeky happenings or happenings in the world of geek. But before we do, I just wanted to turn it over to Chris Farrell because I heard he had some really exciting news to talk about. Well, that's news to me. Uh, what news am I talking about, Blind Toss <laughs> Papa? Are you pregnant? I got a food baby right now. Too much dinner. <laughs> no, there, there's no news. But I thought if we if we did, then we acted like it was. Maybe something would suddenly happen. Like I would be hit by space debris or something like that. SP's trying really hard here. I'm not trying hard at all. I'm just reporting what is in the news. And for those that don't know, you get to go to our Discord server at guineageek.com slash Discord. There's a channel, hashtag Outer Space. And I talk a lot about Outer Space stuff, including space junk that has been targeting Steven's house. Which leads me perfectly into a little uh, discussion I want to mention here. The chat over on the Discord, Chris, they're, they're talking about how you're a potty mouth. Damien, the DM, brought it up over on our official Guinea Geek channel on the Discord, and they they noticed that I had to censor you. So you were noticed, Chris Farrell. You were noticed. This is the first time I've had to be censored <laughs> in like two and a half, three years. And I don't no, think you have you to censor. No, well, maybe on the Guinea Geek show, but I know I censored you over on Starling Tribune a couple of times. I'm pretty sure I censored myself a couple of times there where I just dropped <laughs> that off. Too. But to be honest, Stephen... You don't have to censor the S word that I said. That was over aggressive editing. I don't know that that's true, but there's some markets where it would uh, it would be a no go. They're not listening to us in China. We're probably already banned there. Oh, we talked about that app they wanted they couldn't have. (laughs) Speaking of censoring, can we just take a minute here? I just read an article that apparently, um, so Hamilton. So they were saying that it's a PG-13 rating on Disney Plus, and there's a question about that. Why was PG-13 rating? Apparently, the MPAA has a hard rating that anything more than one F-bomb is an R rating. So, correct. apparently, there was there's three F-bombs in Hamilton. And so, um, oh, I can't remember his name. Anyways, uh, he goes, he goes, so I literally gave two Fs in order to get a PG-13 rating because he dropped out two of them. <laughs> I thought that was funny. Oh, what's his why- name? Land Manuel Miranda? Yes, thank you. Thank you. Gave two Fs. <laughs> yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, it, it's why X-Men First Class is PG-13, because they gave the one F-bomb to Logan in it, and that was it. No one else could do it. That's and awesome. there's that running gag on the internet that if they ever bring Deadpool in one of the MCU movies, they've got to save the one F-bomb for someone else to say right in front of him then he goes what the and it exp- and it blocks him out and he turns and looks at the camera and goes what the hell's going on here <laughs> that, that, that <laughs> something would be like funny. that yeah but let's go ahead and roll on to the news let's start off with some 
Space news. I heard that there is a bar that's going to be made in space, a space bar, and it's going to be made by Mr. Musk. Is that right, SB? That's what I took away from this headline. Perhaps. Now, if you go and watch the 2001 A Space Odyssey film, there is a bar in the space station that they go up to. I don't know if you knew that or not. Of course I did, because I focus purely on where I can get my drink on. All right. So I'm not sure where the segue is taking us because I'm not talking about bars at all. What I'm going to be talking (laughs) about today is SpaceX wants to build an offshore spaceport and it's going to be near Texas for the Starship rocket. This was a story that was reported a few places, but the one I found it today was on space.com, an article by Mike Wall on the 17th of June 2020. Now, what happened was Elon Musk's space company, SpaceX, is hiring offshore operations engineers to help develop floating spaceports for Starship, which is its next generation transportation system designed to take people to and from the moon and Mars and heavy lift here on Earth. And this was exposed in a tweet on Tuesday, June 16th. Elon Musk said SpaceX is building floating super heavy class spaceports for Mars, Moon, and hypersonic travel around Earth. This was in response to another report of a news site that is kind of dedicated towards space news, and he admitted it. He said, yeah, we are going to go ahead and go and do this. Now, the sea-based spaceport plan by itself is not new. Starship animations that Musk himself unveiled in 2017 depict the giant rocket spaceship duo then known as the BFR, talking about giving an F, launching from an offshore platform. And then earlier this month, Musk also tweeted that SpaceX is considering three launch sites for its first Starship missions. One, Florida Space Coast, so that's Kennedy Space Center. Two, this South Texas facility near the village of Boca Chica. I just love saying Boca Chica, Boca Chica, Boca Chica, where Starship prototypes are currently being built and tested. And three offshore platforms. Now, a Twitter user went and asked Elon Musk if the offshore spaceports will be refurbished oil rigs and if Starship passengers will be ferried out to them via Hyperloop, which is the vacuum pod transportation idea that Musk proposed back in 2012. Elon Musk responded, pretty much. (laughs) There you go. You got the Hyperloop going out to oil rigs and then launching up with Starship. There's a whole bunch of things that go along with that because you have to have a safe zone around and his intent is to recover as much as the rocket as possible, especially since it's big and expensive, just like they do the Falcon 9 rockets. I haven't done it yet with Starship because they haven't flown a Starship yet, but they are going in that direction. Now, Starship would not be the first rocket to launch from an ocean platform. There was the Company C launch, which conducted about three dozen liftoffs of the Zenit boosters from a specifically or specialty built ship, and the last launch occurred in 2014. Now, for those counting movies, the sea launch vessels were featured in the 2014 film Captain America Winter Soldier at the very beginning of the film, if you guys remember that. And that did employ the full complement of sea launch for a couple of weeks while they were filming on the vessels. So yeah, it's not a new sort of idea, but Elon Musk is taking it and running with it. And eventually it might enable him to launch in international waters and not have to abide by any country's laws and regulations. Although I would think that overflight would still be one of them. You fly over somebody's country, have to abide by their flight rules up to a certain altitude. So that's it. Elon Musk is building some launch platforms on the sea. So he's building his own islands. It doesn't say that yet. I think that has legal connotations. If you actually build islands like the Chinese recently done in the South Sea, when they built islands, there's a whole bunch of legal ramifications of who owns it and who doesn't own it. With sea platforms, I think it's considered a vessel and not necessarily an island. I was just curious when we're going to get our um space ale or our space dunkle or our space ipa because you said it was a space porter that he was making right well for those counting i did buy some space bourbon which wasn't very good 
I still haven't even opened mine. <laughs> oh, I would not. Now you actually got one of the special bottles with the like the the, the batch number on it. I did not. What was yeah. that again? What was this? This was what was this special? The James T. Kirk Kentucky Bourbon or whatever right. it was. And you guys said it was terrible. Oh, it the I one I opened, opened was terrible. Chris, come on up here after the pandemic. We will savor. You will savor a glass by yourself. You're going to have to drink the whole thing though. But the problem is, I'm pretty sure I'm afraid of the outside world now. It's been so long since I left my house. <laughs> it would be worth it. I mean, it's your chance. I mean, when it's all over, not now, but when it's Famous all over. last words, I come back with coronavirus when I go visit SP. <laughs> <laughs> From the James T. Kirk space bourbon. <laughs> would be I, par for course. Sauce for the goose, Mr. Savick. I think Suncast and I could do the show for a while while you guys were out of commission. I could probably get him in here. I, yeah, sure. And have, have Michelle, he, too. That's fine with they us. They can do it anytime you want. I'll gladly step aside. Yeah, exactly. sure. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you for talking about your space beer. I really appreciate that. Uh, moving on to the next news point here. Wait a minute. Did you not hear anything that I said? No. No. There was, there was something else that happened. What? All right. I just wanted that clear for the listener. <laughs> All right. So... We're going to go way back, get in our time travel machine and go way back and talk about Batman Returns, right? That's right. We want to retroactively talk about the fact that that Danny DeVito casting at first may not have sounded like a good idea to some fans, idiots I might add, but it was fantastic news and Danny DeVito is one of the best actors to have been in the Batman movies. That's my news. Batman Returns is great. Let's call it a day. The best... He's a decent comedic actor, but I don't think he was the best actor ever in a Batman series. Prove me wrong. <laughs> <laughs> the, the Joker. Which one? The first one. Jack Nicholson? Yeah. What? I'm just talking out my butt because Steven <laughs> set me up to talk about Batman. Uh, I, I get it. Yeah. No. A Danny... It, Nothing against Danny DeVito, but he was not the best actor in that whole series. I don't think he was either, but it's all I was go with because I was just spitballing and going. All right. I'm glad you caveated to cave to what I was saying versus what Steven set you up. For. The, the best actor in the Batman series is probably Christian Bale. And he wasn't that great in his Batman role, but he's the best actor out of most people. Val Kilmer, or, man. He was best. Iceman. How about uh, some bat beer? Can we talk about bat beer now? Sure. What kind of bat beer you got up there, Steven? Yeah, uh, I ha it's it's a little bit dark. It's a dark beer. Um, mm -hmm. You can really taste the bat. That's how you got coronavirus. Huh? You <laughs> drank bat beer. Let's go to your news point. <laughs> so Batman Returns is actually a good headline for this, Stephen, because today the rap broke the news that after a nearly 30 year break from playing the character, Michael Keaton is in talks to return to the role of Batman slash Bruce Wayne to appear alongside Ezra Miller and Warner Brothers supposedly upcoming film The Flash. I caveat and say supposedly because this movie is supposed to have come out like four years ago at this point and is still in pre-production and God knows what's going to happen. But going back to Mr. Michael Keaton here, talks are in the very early stages so it's far from a sure thing and could still go either way but they do want to bring him in. No details are available about how small or big that role is but we do have a little bit of detail that's leaked out about what they intend Michael Keaton's Batman to do in the DC universe. The idea is to introduce general audiences to the idea of DC's multiverse, which if you've read the comics or watched the CW television shows, is pretty much one of the core concepts that underpins the entire universe. Oh, Those come on, really? This Wait a is minute. why they eliminated the multiverse because they, the, they got told they couldn't do it anymore on the TV show? Because they want well, they, to do it in a but, movie? But oh, Steven, my God. Oh. Steven, no. Hold on a second. They didn't eliminate the multiverse. It still exists. They just consolidated a bunch no, of the worlds. No, and I actually it, have an argument to that later it, that says the multiverse <laughs> still exists and includes the CW shows. It does exist. It technically exists. They showed it. They set it up at the end, but they everybody's oblivious to it so that they don't actually have to show it on screen anymore because they're not they're allowed not. to do it. This is clearly what but, happened. It's every but, other bloody CW-verse show. No, Suicide no. Squad. Exactly. Oh my God! Uh, but you're still wrong because Ezra Miller's Flash is aware of all of the other universes because he crossed over and bet, met Barry well, Allen. E Ezra is, but uh -huh. that, what Stephen's saying is the CW shows 
can't use it anymore because they were Why bringing not? it into the DCEU. They're still EU. using it. No, they're still, no. They're still whole thing at the end of Crisis was there's other universes out there, but they consolidated no, all no, these ones. Oh, no. you have not seen it. They yes, shut I have. That... I watched the damn series okay. of podcasts. Okay, no, about it. no, you didn't see everything to the end of this. No, they yeah. shut all that down. They did. So, so it's all there. It's like the Suicide Squad, where the Suicide Squad, when it went away from Arrow, it existed, but they weren't allowed to mention it anymore. And then it came back one day later. It's the same thing with Slade Wilson, where Hold like technically, te like they they just couldn't use him anymore, and he was gone. This is what they've done with the multiverse. Is they've actually acknowledged it. They've acknowledged that it's there, but on every single show, they have they have said we used to be a multiverse, and they've basically on the Flash have have even said you know it's gone. They said it was gone. They, they out I forget what the wording was, but they said it was gone. So the characters all believe that it's it's gone, so that in in tell in the television use. They don't. They can't use it anymore. And I'm no. They've chosen not to use uh, it. But they can't use it. The, the, yeah. The, 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 okay. The hold on. You're giving them. Wait, 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 wait. In regards to this Flash movie, yeah. you're giving them way too much damn credit for any kind of planning because it's been <laughs> terrible, terrible planning in regards to this Flash movie for years. They're at the point now where it's throw crap against a wall and see what sticks, and that's what's going on with this. Not them going and trying to steal from the CW television universe. I think it's the same thing as the Suicide Squad, where the Suicide Squad, they threw it at the wall to see if it was sticking in the movie universe, and so that got pulled out from the CW-verse. They weren't allowed to do it. It failed. They gotta go back to it. So, so I think that's what's happened here, is they're throwing the multiverse at the wall to see if it's... Anyways, I digress. That, Sorry. that would require some element of planning <laughs> to go into the DC movies, which oh, doesn't exist, no, because no, it's all they reactionary. Ju they just tell the TV shows you can't use this concept. Guys, but Crisis has been in the work for years no, on no, the no. TV shows. It, again, you have not watched the series post-Crisis. Yes, but I've read all the crap that goes on. I can't get. I can't quit all the way. That's my problem. <laughs> In every, it's, Stephen is right. In every single show, including Legends of Tomorrow, they shut down the multiverse. In the TV show, there is no more multiverse. So if they took that away from the TV shows, no, for, they shut down them knowing that there's a multiverse. Yes, yes. The multiverse still exists, which means they can still go back and revisit it any way they want. And in fact, Kent brings up in the chat room, it still happens because Stargirl's not even in the Earth whatever universe now. But it's it the was, same thing as the Suicide Squad. They shut it down. They shut down the Suicide Squad from being talked about, being acknowledged on the shows, but it still was there in the background. It's the exact, it's the same thing with Deathstroke. They shut it down, but it was still technically there. They shut it off of the screen. This is the same thing with the multiverse. But I'm until done. they brought him back for a one-off for a mini arc. Yes, but for a while they were not allowed to. And you guys talked about it on the Starling Tribune. Which is what I'm saying right to. now. Which is what I'm saying right now is the multiverse is still on the table because they've done it before. They'll bring things back whenever they want to. And let's be honest, they'll do whatever the crap they want on there right now. Because let's be honest, this Flash movie probably never going to happen. But I'm the not saying, I'm not saying it's may not, happen. I know. I'm not saying it's not going to come back. I'm saying that the reason it's not on there right now is probably because of this. And it it irritates me. This is the first I'm hearing of it. And I'm sure that's what it is. They're, you just, you know, fool me once, right? Like, that's... It's, uh, Except they were pretty blatant about the fact when they were told they couldn't use Suicide Squad and talked about it all on Twitter. And none of the showrunners and producers have said anything to that fact about the multiverse. No, are you going to risk your career over this at this point? No. They're not going to do anything to him on the TV side of the house. I that don't makes know. money. Flash doesn't do crap in the movie world yet. I don't know how much money they make. I don't think they make a lot of money for CW. All That's right, why CW has 10,000 shows by it. <laughs> let's go back to your point, Chris. All right, so let's go back to this. Michael Keaton, presumably coming to play the role of Bruce Wayne, an older, 30-year-older Bruce Wayne, now, this does bring up the multiverses in the movies. We're going to not talk about the other points there because I don't want to argue about it anymore about whether they took it away from the TV show. So we are messing around with multiverses. Matt Reeves' upcoming The Batman movie will not be affected, and Robert Pattinson's Bruce Wayne is supposedly still viewed as the future of the franchise. What is going to happen with Michael Keaton's uh, character of Bruce Wayne is it will supposedly disregard the entries of Batman Forever and Batman and Robin and explore what Keaton's version of Batman has been up to since we last saw him. Loosely, they're going to base it on the 2011 crossover event called Flashpoint, which they already screwed up in the TV show, just like they announced back in 2017. Damn in it, this Barry. story, Ezra Miller's Barry Allen travels back in time to prevent the death of his mother. The result, he inadvertently creates another universe 
which in this case will be protected by Michael Keaton's Batman, now 30 years older, instead of the uh, Flashpoint comics where it was Bruce Wayne's father that had become Batman because Bruce is the one that was shot in the alley. So who knows whether it happens or not. Supposedly they're eyeing Q1 2021 to kick things off. And if it happens, I'm cautiously optimistic. Michael Keaton was a delight in Spider-Man Homecoming as the Vulture. He was a delight in, oh my God, I'm forgetting Birdman. He was awesome in that. Michael Keaton's a great actor. And to see him come back as a grizzled, darker Batman, I think it would be neat to see. So where does Affleck fall into all this since Ezra Miller's multiverse? They'll probably spin it off when they undo Flashpoint. They'll probably spin it off somehow that that's in a Batman in a separate universe. And somehow when they were connected in Justice League, they splintered it and rewrote history or some nonsense. Good way to get rid of him. They're not going to ever bring him back. He doesn't want to come back either. Uh, I think he's prevented from coming back due to his personal behavior. I had not heard that one, but okay. Oh, Oh, yeah. You haven't heard about the Me Too connection? Well, there's been stories about that forever, but I was referring more to anything that was going on on set or anything like that. No, this is what has happened in his past. I have to say, I'm slightly irritated here that the if they're going to completely like disregard the Schumacher films, um, if they're doing a multiverse film and they're outright saying they're going to disregard it, I think that that's that's an insult to the the film history of batman i think the dceu has been an insult to a lot of the fandom that's what i mean though right like okay we're gonna go out of order here we have we have an extra extra news point here let me me jump ahead here because this is all gonna tie into one thing so we're gonna talk briefly about the extra extra joel schumacher the one who's behind the batman batman and robin the batman forever batman and robin and was there a third one there was just the two right there was just the two. two. That was Batman three and four. That's right. He did pass away. So he, he passed away um, today. And we wanted to acknowledge that on here. And and here's the thing is why I wanted to specifically acknowledge that was because while they were campy, while they were cheesy, they were a big part of my childhood and I quite enjoyed them. And I I actually still enjoy watching them today, even as as campy as they are. Um if you're going to go and do a multiverse series and completely disregard them and you have the crap that is what we saw out of the most recent DCEU films, why? Like, why, why are you disregarding the 90s ones altogether? It's, it was a big part of... It got a lot of people back into the theaters again to talk about it. There was a lot of, lot of young kids like me who had pictures all printed out of all the different characters. So anyways, I'm just slightly annoyed by that. But this isn't unheard of, though. Go back to 2005 with Superman Returns. Superman Returns ignored Superman 3 and 4. It was a sequel to Superman 2. This has happened before. They can do what they want with their properties. Doesn't necessarily make sense. I don't know. But let's be honest. When you look at the tonal shift between Batman Returns and Batman Forever... You could try and make an argument and say they're not exactly direct sequels to each other, so it doesn't necessarily break things up to spin your movies off with Michael Keaton Batman. They're keeping it consistent with the actor is the argument you could make. Nobody talks about the Val Kilmer Batman returning. Nobody talks about George Clooney as Batman returning. Because George Clooney was a terrible Batman. Nobody talks about it, and everybody's talking, well, not everybody, but a lot of people talk about Michael Keaton being a good Batman, for better or worse. Uh, He's my favorite Batman, and the fact that they would like to see him back, well, he's at a point where it it makes sense. And within the current construct of the DCEU, there was an older Batman played by Affleck. He's not going to return for whatever reason. He's not returning, so why not bring Michael Keaton back to fill that role, which he should have filled in the first place. I think a Michael Keaton Batman in Justice League would have been awesome. I don't know how you bring Michael Keaton into the Justice League movie. You as the old as old Batman. The same premise that Ben Affleck came in. I just no. uh, I, I look at the multiverse. I look at what we got in Crisis, and I, I think to myself, like, we saw so many different little cameos here and there. We even got Ezra Miller, like Chris pointed out. We had a tie-in to the 60s Batman. So g- give the Schumacher films uh, a nod somewhere. 
Sure, they can if they want to. I mean, here's the other thing to consider. I mentioned this Flash movie. There's no guarantee it really happens because it's been <laughs> delayed forever and ever. So honestly, what I'm hoping really happens, this Flash movie doesn't happen, but they get Keaton on the hook to come back. And instead of coming back as Bruce Wayne from the 89 movies, that's still Batman 30 years later, you get the elderly Bruce Wayne, who is the mentor of the Dark Knight of Tomorrow, one Terry McGinnis, a.k.a. Batman Beyond, which is the best spinoff they've done of Batman, which was the 1999 to 2001 cartoon on the WB that was amazing and still holds up. And they have actually continued the story as comics right now. It's awesome. Bring back Terry. DCEU has got to, um, they've got a good core. They've got a good Aquaman, the best Aquaman ever. They've got a good Wonder Woman. You could argue that Ezra Miller is a good Flash, although I know a lot of people like Grant Gustin better. And you've got the situation with Batman and Superman, which is really the core of the Super Friends, Batman, Superman, and Wonder Woman. And they they are so uncertain. So if you if you shore that up, bring back Michael Keaton. I don't know what you do with Superman. You've got. Well, they just signed Henry Cavill to a multi-picture deal to be basically the Nick Fury of the DCEU. Did they? Yeah. Henry Cavill signed a deal where he's going to appear as Superman in multiple movies and not necessarily as a main character, but a character that ties things all together. Okay. Huh. That so, was part of what the uh, Justice League with the Snyder Cut stuff that came out about that well, same time, well, which is another issue that makes you go, what the hell <laughs> are they doing with the Snyder Cut? Yeah. Now? Well, that's great. So you got Henry Cavill in, so you just need a Batman. You bring back Michael Keaton as that older Batman, and then you cast somebody as uh, a Green Lantern, and bingo, you've got well, your Justice Batman League. now. They just said that in this, that all the plans oh, are still Pattinson for the future. He's a good actor. Let's let's get past no. the Twilight, making fun of Twilight and stuff I, like no, that. I, I don't think he's a good actor. He he does nothing for me in what whatever he's in. in. I'm, I'm sighing not because it's, it's uh, Robert Pattinson. I'm sighing because I think SP pointed out, we have a real good opportunity for a Batman that people do like and somebody who probably would be willing to tie in for a little while because let's be honest, their film um, ventures right now are, are not that um, full. They're, they've got, he's not doing a lot right now. So he'd probably. He, he just he pro- had a career resurgence with Birdman. Michael Keaton has been in all sorts of stuff. Yeah. Oh, okay. He was nominated for an Academy Award, I believe. But I thought he's been basically stagnant for a while. Let's remember, he's also 68 years old. I'm not going to buy a 68-year-old Batman. I'm sorry. I don't care how old he is. Even in a power suit, it doesn't necessarily work. In Batman Beyond, Bruce couldn't do it because he was too old, even with the power suit. 68 doesn't work. Maybe I'm being ageist here. And if so, feel free to send me hate mail, js at gunnageek.com. But... (laughs) 68-year-old Batman doesn't work because he's just a man. Huh. What 68-year-old man can legitimately go out there and do the things that Batman does? Okay. He needs to transition to what he was in Batman Beyond, which is the mentor behind the scenes that runs the board. Okay, Patrick Stewart. But he's not out there being Batman in Picard. He does a few running Yet. scenes and does sword fighting. He will in season two. I'm sure that's what's in the plans for season two. You, you do make an interesting point. I think if we were to look back, though, on the history of superhero films, we would probably find a villain that was in that age range. I, I would think that there's... Yeah, Michael Keaton five years ago in Spider-Man. <laughs> So, so if a villain can be out there being a bad guy, why can it? Why can they not be a good guy? But in any case, I, I just, I don't Steve like Steve Rogers. Well, he's got a bit of a uh, <laughs> extenuating circumstance there. I just, I don't get the whole, the whole many Batman's situation called, we're in right they now. They don't know what they're doing, and Batman makes money, so they're going to throw Batman at everything. That's what's they're, going on. They're here. starting to lose money on Batman. Batman is not the number one. Um, comic book character of all time anymore. It's Spider-Man. Comics don't matter to them anymore, though. No, no, no. Comic book them? character, not the comics. Yeah, but it's still one of the most market uh, marketable characters and logos across the world, and they can bank on that and make movies off of it, it and continue it, I, I, to make sweet ass cartoons. <laughs> I wouldn't argue that it is marketable. I don't. I think they're driving it into the ground, though. I would like to release. I guess I'll. Mo- 
Uh, I hate to say this. I will wait and see what happens with the Pattinson Batman before I, I chime in either way. I am not opposed to the casting. Um, I am a little reserved that we're getting this Michael Keaton news. However, I will wait and see because you never know what will happen. And maybe maybe it will work out and it will be a very good decision. So we'll see. Chris Farrell, is there any last things you want to chime in since I kind of railroaded your news point there for a bit? <laughs> if you think Michael Keaton hasn't been working, go look at his IMDb. There's not a big gap there in his uh, filmography and work. He's been doing a lot of work. All right. I stand corrected then. I stand corrected. 220, 221, whatever it takes. Mr. Mom. Mm. Oh, God. Don't get it. All right. So let's say goodbye, Mixer. Bye, Mixer. Say bye. Bye. Uh, if you didn't know this, there is a streaming platform called Twitch. That's where we primarily stream this program to. For a while there, they were exclusively game streamers, and then they opened back up to broadcasters. They are owned by Amazon, and they got they got a good foothold in that streaming market, that game streaming market. I don't know. What was it? Four or five years ago, Mixer uh, came out, which is a Microsoft platform Actually, this one it was still beam wasn't it oh it might have been beam yeah and then they yeah. changed to a thing called mixer and mixer is pretty good mixer have was one of the first ones to implement um something low latency uh faster than light that was ftl streaming which is near instant streaming um out so there's like no lag at all involved with it chris farrell and i once tested this where no no exaggeration i sent out a stream to mixer using ftl I had him call me um, on my phone or something like that. I think, it was, I think it was Hangouts, but I was still using my phone. And I was listening to him on my phone. I was muted, but he was listening and talking to me by hearing my audio over Mixer. So he was hearing me through mix, Mixer using FTL and talking back to me on the phone. And that's how low latency it was. We could carry on a conversation. It was a fun test. Well, they are going away. Yes, Microsoft has announced that they will be ending Mixer and they are actually working with oh, Facebook gaming to move people off of that. We made fun of this a while ago and talked about how, still much, make fun of it. how much better Mixer was than Facebook gaming. Um, yes, by July 22nd, all Mixer sites and apps will redirect users to Facebook. This is in exchange. Microsoft's Project xCloud gaming streaming platform will begin to appear on the social media giant in the near future. So we're going to basically see Mixer get fold up, folded up, redirect people over to Facebook gaming, and then Facebook will sit there and advertise Microsoft's project xCloud. I guess ultimately Microsoft had to decide where they were focusing their gaming direction and it's going to be on the project xCloud side of things rather than the, the game streamers. It's a shame. I, li I like Mixer. I thought Mixer was pretty good. I thought it looked nice and uh, overall was pretty reliable. For a while, it was the primary embed that we had for this show when you watched us at Geeks.Live. Are you sad about this, Chris Farrell? A little bit. I mean, they're too late to the game. That's, that's the big takeaway here is that Amazon's Twitch, because Amazon acquired Twitch a few years ago, that's the big player in town and you can't really compete with it very well. I mean, Microsoft tried, they tried to start new bidding wars to basically make gamers like Ninja and some other folks exclusive to Mixer. The only place you could watch them is there. They would embed Mixer links directly on the Xbox dashboard when people were streaming, which was annoying and something I generally ignored. But the simple fact of the matter is it didn't matter how much money they threw at it. They weren't going to compete with with Twitch. So they're getting out. And I don't really think this means Facebook gaming is the solution. And in fact, they made a big deal of saying those folks that signed exclusive contracts with Mixer, like Ninja signed a 20 or $30 million contract to stream exclusively there instead of Twitch. As soon as the transition happens, they're released from those deals. They've made 20, $30 million. They can go right back to Twitch or wherever they want to. They don't necessarily have to go to Facebook gaming. And, and you know, if I were them, I would probably go back to Twitch because your audience is going to go and watch you still. You'll probably pick up some of the people who didn't come over to Mixer with you and is what it is. Microsoft tried a lot. There was just no compelling reason to make that your default place to go to to watch gaming because Twitch was better. Twitch gave away free stuff. If you were an Amazon Prime subscriber, you'd get 
free Twitch subscriptions and stuff like that. You would get free content for games through it. They're just too far ahead. And I think Microsoft's making the right play here to say, hey, we need to stop throwing money away. The real problem is what happens to all of those folks that that was their primary home. They built up communities and things like that there because just saying we're going to transition over to Facebook doesn't mean your community is going to come with you if you go there or if you go to Twitch or something like that. It's it's difficult. And you guys have talked about similar other podcasting products and communities like Blab had a big community that was built up just because some other Blab-like app comes out doesn't mean the entire community is going to pick up and go over there. So I'm, I feel bad for those people that have built a community there that have been able to monetize themselves on Mixer that are now going, oh crap, what am I going to do now? Because I have a month to figure out where I'm going and to hope I can bring my community with me so they continue to monetize and make money. Yeah, I, I can't disagree with anything you said. I think you nailed it. Um, the only thing that I will add to that is that I think people may be more opposed to going over and watching on Facebook, which is why I think you're probably right. People will be more likely to revert to Twitch. It's like we talked about before, the whole concept of Facebook gaming. It just doesn't click with me. And remember, the generation of folks using Facebook, it's not necessarily the same folks that are watching a lot of these live video games and stuff anymore. Facebook is not the younger generation of kids anymore or people anymore. It's an older demographic. Maybe I don't know. you should I don't know how well f- you should Sorry, make a feral streaming service. You can go ahead and get it started there. I can't afford to do that. I mean, that, that's the thing. And if you're anyone who wants to build one of these streaming services to put gaming content on, Microsoft couldn't beat Amazon. Who's going to beat them now? There's just too much of a lead built up. And let's be honest here. For our purposes, we use Twitch for streaming these shows. We use it for chat rooms and stuff like that for some of our shows. It's pretty solid. I've had minimal problems with it. Latency's not bad. The product's pretty good. There's not a lot of stuff out there that makes me go, oh, I have to go here primarily. The only reason I was on Mixer was because I had that restream product to put myself out on like six different streaming services at one time. I don't think I would have ever gone to Mixer as my primary streaming site because the people weren't there. Yeah. Well, we'll see what happens. Uh, all I know is that uh, SP is hurting because he he loved Mixer. Oh. Well, I am so psyched about this news. I'm going to go to Facebook and I'm going to demand that they reopen my Facebook account so that I could use Facebook gaming. I am so psyched about this. This is going to be great. <laughs> uh, exactly the point I was making about people having being opposed to going to Facebook because maybe they're not allowed to. On a side note, uh, on Xboxes right now, it's baked into an Xbox. If you want to stream a game by default, it goes to Mixer and things like that. You can set it up to also do Twitch. They did say on the 22nd of July that will all be disabled and your primary streaming service for your Xbox will go back to being Twitch, not Facebook gaming. Hmm. Interesting. So if you decide to live stream your gameplay, it will go to Twitch. I'm sure they'll set something up so that you can choose to do Facebook gaming if you want. But the things I had seen on Twitter from back and forth from folks at Microsoft was that it would be Twitch. It would be the default streaming service for the Xbox. Huh. That, that, that's odd. Very odd. But I guess the writing's on the wall there of who they secretly want to support. I think they're just flipping the switch back to an earlier version of the code. Because <laughs> before they bought Mixer slash Beam, it was the default streaming site was Twitch. It okay. was cooked into the Xbox. That's funny. All right, well, let's go ahead and move on to SP's Space Symposium. All right, SP, earlier today you told us about space beer, and now you're going to go ahead Mm. and tell, tell us about what other space alcoholic beverage. No, no alcoholic beverage in space. Matter of fact, I don't know if there has been fermentation in space yet. I'm going to have to look that up. Anyway, no, today. What do you we're mean? Ta- I'll, I'll bet after so many days up there, some of those astronauts were fermenting. I would venture to believe the cosmonauts would have made vodka more <laughs> than the astronauts would have made any sort of um, alcohol. But I'm going to talk about Mariner 9 today. So we're going to start off mm, with... Mariner sauce. 
We've talked about Mariners before. <laughs> did you make the same joke back then too? Because I honestly don't remember if you did or not. I don't Steve know. Did. I, 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 I bet you did. You find the tree that you have with the <laughs> lowest branches, and that's the fruit that I'm grabbing. Okay, that's the John Drew method of comedy. <laughs> Stop grabbing my fruit. <laughs> oh my! Oh my! So the year is 1971. This is a little stage setter here. Richard Nixon is president and Apollo 14, which was the third mission to successfully land and return humans from the moon. And it included Alan Shepard's famous golf swing had just come back from the moon in February. The Cold War is raging. The 26th Amendment to the Constitution of the United States was approved by the U.S. Senate and the House of Representatives in March. It was later ratified on June 30th, 1971, and became law on July 1st. On March 28th, the final episode of The Ed Sullivan Show was broadcast on CBS. I didn't remember this. A bomb exploded in a restroom in the U.S. Senate in March. In April, an American table tennis team arrived in China, and President Nixon ended a blockade of China. I didn't remember the blockade of China. Patton won the best picture in April, and George C. Scott won the Best Actor and then famously refused his Oscar nomination on grounds that actors should not have to compete with each other. Charles Manson was sentenced to death, which was later commuted, but he was sentenced to death. And on March 20th, 1971, Congress canceled the supersonic SST airplane program. All of this happened before the microprocessor, the first microprocessor, was invented in November of 1971, which was later that year. On May 30th of 1971, Mariner 9 was launched by NASA from the Kennedy Space Center in Florida, and its destination, Mars. Its destination was the Martian orbit. So for the next few minutes, I have the honor to tell you the story of Mariner 9, just like I've told the story of 16 other space probes, and before that, 16 space-based telescopes. It's difficult for me to believe that Stephen has allowed me to embark on this journey over four years ago on Gunna Geek episode number 136 when I told the story of the James Webb Space Telescope. But I believe these stories are worth telling. Uh, They are stories of brute force engineering and scientific discoveries as humankind as a race discover the universe around us. They are stories of heroic successes and devastating failures. And there are stories that will continue to be told in the coming months, years, and decades as we reach out to explore the solar system in person with our own senses. I was going to say my own two eyes, but all of our senses will be included. Now, the Soviets and the Americans had been in a Cold War spurred space race since October 4th, 1957, when Sputnik was launched as the first man-made object placed in space. That wasn't even 17 full years before May 1971. So the space race started less than 14 years before Mariner 9 was launched. So in that time, the Soviets and the Americans had traded first. We've talked about this all along. The first object in space was the Soviets with Sputnik. The first dog in space was the Soviets. The first flyby of the moon, Soviets. The first satellite to use solar cells that went to the Americans. The first probe on the lunar surface, Soviets. The first probe to visit another planet, the Americans. The first flyby of Mars was Americans. The first probe to return data from another planet's atmosphere was the Soviets. The first to land humans on the moon went to the Americans. But the solar system is vast, and there were still many firsts to obtain and planets to eventually colonize. So both the Soviets and the Americans now focused on being the first in 1971 to go to Mars and orbit the planet. A launch window to send pros to Mars only opens every 26 months due to the planetary alignment. It's just how things work in orbital mechanics. So May of 1971 was only the fifth active launch window since humans' first attempts to send probes to Mars in 1960. So the launch windows were 1960, 1962, 1964, then nobody used the launch window in 1967. They were more intent to get to the moon. In 1969, they did use the window, and then 1971. So those were the launch windows since the space race began. In 1971, 
there had been numerous flybys and attempted landers on planets. Both the Earth and the Moon had been successfully orbited. No one yet had orbited another planet. And there was precious little data about Mars, which was the most likely candidate for human habitation in the solar system, especially after we had been to the moon and seen what that was like. So for some historical precedents, both the Soviets and the Americans prepared a pair of probes to attempt to enter into Martian orbit. This had happened before where they had sent a pair of probes for redundancy's sake. And as a bonus this time, the Soviets were going to send landers with their probes as well. More about that later. The Soviets prepared similar probes called Mars 2 and Mars 3. The Americans prepared identical probes, Mariner 8 and Mariner 9. The race to Martian orbit was on. The Americans were the first to launch within the transfer window on May 9th, 1971 with Mariner 8. However, success was not to be with Mariner 8 because it suffered a fatal guidance computer error. The problem was eventually discovered to be the result of a malfunction in the pitch rate gyro amplifier. That's a mouthful. The diode intended to protect the system from transient voltages was thought to have been damaged during repairs and installation of the pitch amplifier's printed circuit board something that at that time would not have been detected through bench tests. So it's kind of absolving the NASA engineers from fault, but it happened anyway. That was a failure. The next two launches were Soviets. They were both successful. On March, on May 19th, 1971, Mars 2 successfully launched. And then on May 28th, 1971, Mars 3 launched. So the Soviets had two in the race at that point, and the Americans were down to zero. But two days after the second Soviet launch, the Americans launched their last shot in the race from Cape Canaveral, Florida, and it was Mariner 9. And as the American luck would have it, the Atlas Centaur D launch platform was able to provide more energy to Mariner 9 than the Mars 2 and Mars 3 Soviet counterpart probes had. A little bit about Mariner 9 here. It was 997.9 kilograms dry mass, which is roughly 2,200 pounds, which was, I know Chris is going to love this, about 40% of the weight of a Tesla Cybertruck. I say about because Tesla Cybertrucks actually vary in weight between the three models. So it's a rough average between the three. So it's 40% of the weight. That's what was sent up. It was actually significantly more than Mariner 6 and 7 because they doubled the mass for propulsion. They actually sent it up with a attitude control system. Now, the spacecraft was built on an octagonal magnesium frame, which was 47 centimeters deep and 138 centimeters across in a diagonal. It had four solar panels, and it was also mounted on the top were two propulsion tanks the maneuver engine, and a 1.4 meter long low gain antenna mast and a parabolic high gain antenna. There was a scan platform that was mounted on the bottom of the frame, which were mutually boresighted. It's called mutually boresighted. So it was basically all on the same uh, articulating platform. And it was six scientific instruments. The overall height of the spacecraft was 2.3 meters, and the scientist, scientific instrumentation itself had a total mass of 63 kilograms. Mariner 9 is on the way to Mars. After a 15-minute insertion burn, once it gets to Mars from its propulsion package, Mariner 9 won the race. It achieved stable Martian orbit on November 14, 1971. It barely beat the other two probes. Mars 2 successfully entered into Martian orbit on November 27th, 1971, and Mars 3 brought up the rear of the race and entered into Martian orbit on December 2nd, 1971. Now the probes that were in orbit, the real work began, and it was time for the science to start. However, Mars had some surprises all of its own. Suncast had, was there ready to 
get them. Oh, oh, oh yeah, of yeah. course. Yeah, he had cookies and lollipops for them when they got there. Yeah, down by the river because you know can, canals were discovered. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, what happened was Mars was engulfed in this planet-wide dust storm, and it made direct observations, especially optical observations, impossible. Fortunately for the Americans, they designed their spacecraft to use a central computer and a sequencer with an onboard memory of 512 words, which translated into 95 separate commands. So Mariner 9 could be reprogrammed by the Jet Propulsion Laboratory once it reached orbit in Mars. Unfortunately for the Soviets, Mars 2 and Mars 3 were sent without an ability to reprogram their functions. So what happened? Mars 2, Mars 3 got to orbit and they promptly took months of dust cloud pictures from Mars. As a matter of fact, their entire operation of both probes, only 60 pictures were deemed usable. And that was towards the end of their life. Hey, that is still more success than the average person in the 90s did with their little disposable cameras. That's still a way higher success ratio. <laughs> I think I still have some uh, from from the late 90s. I should get those. No, maybe it was 2000. So you're probably right there. Anyway, Mariner 9, on the other hand, transmitted 7,329 useful images over its lifespan of 349 days. And the images covered 85% of the Martian surface. The images revealed riverbeds, which is presumably where Suncast was. Craters, massive extinct volcanoes. It discovered evidence of wind and water erosion, weather fronts, fogs, and much more. The Mariner 9 also took pictures of the two Martian moons, Phobos and Deimos, and got some good stuff from there. A total of 54 billion bits, and unfortunately it's bits, not bytes, but bits of scientific data were returned, including the images. That covered the entire planet. The information provided by Mariner 9 and the treasure trove of data would prove invaluable for future Martian landers and rover missions and also the movie The Martian. Mariner 9 not only proved programmable probes could deal with the unknown, but it also orbiting missions that it had extended time on subject could yield very much more useful data than flybys. And for that, I have to say sorry to probes, even recent probes like New Horizons that had just a couple of days as shot by Pluto. If we had sent a probe and it was able to get there and then orbit Pluto, we would have so much more data now. I said I would talk about Mariner's 9's instrumentation before. It had a packet of roughly 60 instruments. You had an ultraviolet spectrometer. You had an infrared inferometer spectrometer. You had what is known as celestial mechanics. It wasn't exactly a single instrument, but it took into account other instruments to include range, range rate, and Doppler radar. It had an S-band occultation, which again, wasn't a separate instrument, but it took into account different instrumentation. It had an infrared radiometer and it had a visual imaging system, so a camera. And the important part about this is Mariner 9 was in a lower orbit so the resolution of the cameras was much bigger. It was, you could distinguish 320 feet of stuff on the ground versus the previous Martian probes, which only got resolution of 2,600 feet per pixel. So you had much tidal resolution. But what about those Soviet landers that I talked about before? Well, the Mars 2 lander went on to become the first human-made object to reach the surface of Mars on November 27th, 1971, although the landing system failed and the lander was lost. In other words, it crashed. Some history books count the Mars 2 lander as the first one to crash on another planet, but that's not counting the Soviet Venus landers and probes, though not counting for crashes there. They were sent as atmospheric probes, not landers. The planet-wide dust storm probably did not help the landing system function at all, so that was probably a cause, although it's not brought up for Mars 2. As for the Mars 3 lander, it successfully touched down on Mars on December 2nd, 1971. So yay, Soviets win there, right? 
The lander only transmitted for 20 seconds. The failure is unknown, but the dust storms probably played a significant role as well. So what happened is these probes got to Mars and the landers were automatically dispatched even though Mars had the huge dust storm and the dust storm took it. It was a planet-wide dust storm, very unique. It was the aliens. The aliens shut it down. I was thinking it had something to do with Picard. No, uh, he, and, Picard takes place in the future. This, this is the past. Are we sure? I mean, there is time travel in Star Trek. That's true. There is time travel. You're right. Could have been the artificial life forms. Could have been, yeah. Anyway. Mariner 9 operated until October 27th, 1972. Once depleted of its ACS or attitude control system or attitude control gas, the spacecraft was turned off. It remains a derelict satellite in Martian orbit to this day, and it is expected to remain until at least 2022, after which the spacecraft is projected to enter into the thin Martian atmosphere and either burn up or crash into the planet's surface because of the drag. Finally, bringing a close to the race to the Martian orbit in 1971, more than 50 years after it started. That's the story of Mariner 9. Next time, I'd like to tell the story of Mariner 10, which was the first spacecraft to fly by two planets, not just one, but two. And after that, I've listed out at least 17 other probes worth of stories to tell, followed by landers and rovers and human explorations to other bodies in our solar system. So by then... Hopefully, I'll have a few other stories to tell as well. Well, thank you very much, SB. Greatly appreciate you uh, sharing that today. Uh, really appreciate you always delving so deeply into these topics. It, I, I said it before. I say it every time we talk about anything space-related on here. I think it's important we talk about it. You know, we just went through a big, a big launch that had a lot of hype behind it. If we don't keep talking about where we've come from and where we go to, that hype's going to fade very quickly and we'll be back to where we were and it'll just be people just complacent and, and they don't care anymore about it and then nothing happens. So I really enjoy looking into the past. You know, I, I think about, when I think about sort of education and history was an area that I was always engaged in, but I never really like took it on myself. And, you know, space history, I really, really, really enjoy hearing about. And so I have regrets that I didn't, you know, tap into that more when I had nothing but time on my hand as a young Stephen John Drew. I, I do wish that I had looked into space history more. So I do really appreciate it, SP. You bet. Well, there's uh, three things that I'd like to bring up now. First of all, one of the great things about talking about this story is we are about a month or so out from the Mars 2020 launch. And the fact that they have these windows every 26 months means that, yes, we have sent a lot of stuff to Mars, but we can only send stuff every 26 months unless we slingshot around other planets. So this is important to note when we're talking about Mars 2020. If we don't make that launch window, I say we, if NASA doesn't make that launch window by, I believe it's August 11th, 2020, then they can't go for 26 months. and everything sits in storage. It's happened before and it will probably happen again. And it's better to be safe than sorry, especially because now we don't have multiples. We don't have redundancies. We just have the one probe and the one rover and the one helicopter. That's it. We don't have a, a, another spare set lying around, which we can just quickly throw up there and, and get to Mars. So there's that. And you're talking about the history. You know, we're at a point where you first really get space historians and you get people that weren't alive when this whole thing started off we're maybe first or second generation into that so it, it's not really been that long but we do have a lot of good things coming up so it's important to realize what the history was and how we got there i will bet you that data from mariner 9 has gone into selecting all sorts of stuff including the landing site for Mars 2020. Just just think about that. This thing in 1971, which was the first mapping of most of the planet, is now really looking into uh, where... I mean, yes, we've had better orbiters that have mapped the planet, but really 
the sites that interested people started with Mars or Mariner 9. I mean, it's a lot easier now. They just call up Suncast and have him take his tape measure out and he measures <laughs> things out for him. Or the Transformers <laughs> or, you know, the Martian or whatever. Or he gets like that measuring wheel and you just see him wheeling it across the surface of Mars to get the distance. So finally, in just case you <laughs> want to know where I get all this information from, I actually have a quick source list. So information in this segment was sourced from jpl.com, space.com, colorado.edu, spacecenter.org. You might want to say what, why at colorado.edu they actually created some of the uh, sensing instrumentation that was on Mariner 9. Forbes.com, actually the Forbes.com article was the most comprehensive and easily discernible for your average person. So if you're interested to hear more about Mariner 9, I would say Forbes.com is where to go. History.com is always a good place and scientificamerican.com. Also a great article, but you have to have a subscription to their back archive in order to get it. So I know a lot of people won't do that, but scientificamerican.com was also a great place to do that. So that's where I sourced all this information from, including personal knowledge of like the Mariner programs and stuff like that. So hey, you can go and, and research till your heart's content. This was a really cool thing. It was an active race that probes were in space and it was a question as who was going to get there first who's going to successfully get into orbit who's going to put the first lander down on mars so lots of interesting stuff with this thing in 1971 and when do you get to the drinking establishment the uh, bar that they set up on mars because i've heard of this mars bar and i'd love to know about the history of the bar that they set up on mars if you're talking about the candy bar, that's one thing. If you're talking about an actually drinking establishment, just call up Suncast. They'll uh, tell you. Is there a chocolate bar? What? I thought that it was the you Mars bar. You have not heard of the Mars bar? I thought the Mars bar was a drinking establishment. Anytime mm. anybody asks me if I sure. want the Mars bar, I just go drink. Hey, Steven, you want to go to the Mars bar? Yes, I do. <laughs> drink up. <laughs> <laughs> all right well thank you very much for that there chris farrell i do greatly appreciate you doing all the hard oh oh wait, he's still here that's he's still here what that's okay we know chris is the true <laughs> hero of the guineageek.com show yeah. he's the one that has to get censored from time to time so. <laughs> no kidding aside uh sp thank you very much all right well that's going to take us to the end of the show before we wrap up i'll go around the table and let you guys plug or promote or do whatever you would like to do I think we'll kick it off with with uh, Stargate Pioneer, and I would encourage you to talk about your most recent episode of Legends of S.H.I.E.L.D. Uh, I think that you had a really good guest on there. I think that uh, they were very insightful. I think they're very handsome, and I think that uh, you should be appreciative of the guest that you had on there. Did Neil do your show? <laughs> no, I went to Podchaser, and it appears that Chloe Bennett was actually a guest on Legends of S.H.I.E.L.D. at some point. I'm trying to pinpoint which episode Chloe Bennett was Did on. Did somebody say that? Yeah, it's on Podchaser. <laughs> it's one of the people that supposedly was on one of our episodes. And I have no idea how that happened. So I'm looking forward to listening to that episode, even though I have actually personally edited every single episode that is legends of shield i just don't remember it so that means i'm getting old when i don't remember talking to chloe ben i don't think you did <laughs> but i guess maybe the time travel actually that's not true i have spoken to chloe bennett oh have you oh yeah, I it was at c2e2 yeah. Yeah. yeah did you do an anyway. interview no it wasn't an interview did... was, yeah, oh. i met her back i met her backstage i was actually going to the bathroom right before her panel and i, I it was by where she was going coming from so anyway did i said um, hi was did did uh, Lauren or Haley get or Michelle bring a clip? Michelle, uh, she brought, did, was it her recorder or my recorder? Anyway, one of us recorded. It was Michelle and I, and we recorded. Oh, are you talking about um, when down in Texas, like a comic palooza or something? Maybe. I was just curious if, if she, uh, if maybe that's why she was tagged. Maybe you, uh, it, you had an interview clip of her or something. This is the one problem with Podchaser is you can't click on the person that says they've been on one episode and then it will take you to that one episode. And I've had 337 episodes, so I have no idea which episode that she was on. Anyway, <laughs> in episode 337 this week, we talk Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. season seven, episode four, out of the past. This is the final season for Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. It was really fun because Steven came on 
as the guest because Lauren and Haley couldn't be there. Haley was honest to goodness looking at Roswell, New Mexico, trying to figure out if that's where the previous week's episode was. I'm not making that up. She was actually in Roswell, New Mexico. And then Lauren was off doing because of health issues. So we had Steven on. It was great. It was one of our funnest episodes that we've had recently on Legends of S.H.I.E.L.D. So you could find that at legendsofshield.com. Go to episode 337, including about 15 minutes of outtakes that were all hilarious. So go check that out. I looked at your pod, sir, and uh, Ming-Na Wen is also tagged on there. Sweet. <laughs> um. Yeah, okay, so I set that up to toot my horn so I could go and say, you know, oh, look, I was on the show, all that there, but now I'm just distracted by your pod chaser and the fact that both of those are on there. So that's hilarious. Uh, thank you for having me on. That was a fun, it was fun to talk about. Chris Farrell, is there anything that you would like to plug or promote? Uh, friendly reminder, we have a lot of stuff that streams live on the Good Geek Network here on Geeks.Live. Please come check out some of the other stuff. Scroll down to the bottom of the page right now if you're on Geeks.Live. You'll see a calendar of all of our upcoming live events. Please go check out one of those other shows. And I'm just going to go and take a moment here to thank everybody who's on the Gunna Geek Network. The Gunna Geek Network has a bunch of amazing people on it. And uh, you should definitely check that out at GunnaGeek.com. So on that note, for episode number 336 of the official GunnaGeek.com show, I'm Stephen John Drew saying, hey... I made some really terrible jokes tonight, and I'm sorry. I'm Stargate Pioneer saying, get excited about space, because it's coming. And I'm Chris Farrell, and I'm evidently a potty mouth. Schumacher Batman films are canon. I'm going to say it now. Bye. Unless they decide they aren't. They are. I thought you were talking about Schumacher Levy Comet. checking out another episode of the official gunnageek.com show if you like the show please give us a five-star review in apple Podcasts or a thumbs up on youtube you can always join us for our live recording sessions which stream mondays at 8 45 p.m eastern at www.geeks.live and remember you can find our full back catalog at gunnageek.com forward slash show if you're itching for more geeky content, check out other shows on gunnageeknetwork.com. Voice work was by Emily Prokop of the Story Behind podcast. That's it for this episode. We hope to see you back again next week. <laughs>